0: My guest today is Professor Michelle Jansen, who is a professor in the program in the history of science, technology, and medicine and School of Physics and Astronomy uh, in the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Michelle.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Gil. Sure.
0: Yeah. So you have a very unique uh, background. You teach both the history of physics uh, as well as um, some uh, fairly uh, high level courses in physics, including quantum mechanics. Uh, I want to start, um, you know, kind of get a big picture view of the history of quantum mechanics, uh, which is a field that has been around for a while. And I was just reading about it a little bit today and I realized that uh, the double slit experiment uh, was in 1801. Mm -hmm. Uh so that is sort of, you know, one could argue that is sort of the start of the problem, so to yeah. speak, right? Uh you want to you want to uh, give a sort of a sketch of the history of how, how it evolved over time? Uh
1: sure. Um so I, I should first say that um so it, it is a bit unusual for like a historian of science to be in a physics department. Um that's like a, what is known as the Minnesota model. And yeah. uh so I mainly I really only teach like history of science classes but I do a lot of guest lecturing for my colleagues in physics so that's where I where I talk about talk to students in quantum mechanics or in relativity about this kind of stuff. So now on the history of um, the history of quantum mechanics I'm actually working on a um, uh, on a book a uh, two volume book on uh, the genesis of quantum mechanics together with a particle physicist at the University of Pittsburgh named uh, Tony Duncan. Um, yes. And uh, so our story, I mean, it doesn't really begin with the um, uh, with the with the double slit experiment, and I'll, I'll I'll explain later like why I I don't I don't like that as a starting point. It really starts. <laughs> okay. It really starts with uh, um, with uh, attempts to come to terms with something called black body radiation, which is a particular kind yeah. of heat radiation. And uh, so it's in that context that uh, around 1900, uh, like Planck. You know, to come up with a law for um, uh, for black body radiation is is going to have to introduce uh, this 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 idea uh, that uh, the uh, the energy of uh, of resonators like like uh, uh, interacting with this radiation that the that the energy of these uh, of these resonators is quantized that it can only take on like certain discrete values and there's a big debate among historians. How seriously he uh, he took that uh, quantization, but let's leave that aside for the moment. The point I want to make. So
0: that reali- So just a quick yeah. question. So that that realization uh, did that happen experimentally, or it was sort of theoretical? It was. Insight? So
1: so people were. Um, so basically, the idea. The idea. So you have this heat radiation, and yep. in the uh, you know by the by the middle of the of the nineteenth century, uh, physicists had figured out. Uh, This is like people like Kirchhoff on the basis of thermodynamics, that that the spectral distribution of that radiation uh, should should always be the same. So so by spectral distribution, I simply mean like how much energy output do you have at all these different frequencies? And so the challenge now was to come up with an explicit formula to give like this spectral distribution. And this is what Planck supplied. And uh, but in order to get the formula to um, uh, in order to get the the, the, to be able to derive the formula, which he had initially just kind of guessed, in order to derive the formula, he uh, he Mm. discovered that he had to assume sort of this strange behavior of the energy of like resonators, like that you can think of as little charges on springs interacting with this radiation. Mm. And Mm. so uh, and, and Planck was very. Reluctant to give too much sort of physical meaning to this, he thought in the end this was kind of a mathematical trick. Uh, others, uh, like uh, in particular like uh, Albert Einstein and Paul Ehrenfest, were taking this more seriously, and uh, so Einstein is then is really the uh, the in my view uh, the person who uh, you know sort of put this whole uh, quantum idea on the map in 1905, where he went as far as saying like even the radiation itself is uh, is quantized and comes in little packages like that he called light quantum that are now called photons
0: um, that's interesting yeah so we we don't typically uh, think about einstein as uh, sort of the the early um uh, early physicist in the quantum physics area and uh, this equation that planck's equation is is um is on the surface very simple e equal to h v mm-hmm. Where h is the Planck's constant and v is the frequency of the radiation, right? Yeah, Uh, uh, mu. Mu, Okay, h mu. Oh, mu. Okay, yeah. The
1: the Greek letter. Yeah. So
0: so that Planck's constant, uh, and so it is. It's a very elegant, very elegant idea. Mm -hmm. And and so so you were saying this uh, this appealed to Albert Albert Einstein, and he he developed some of these ideas forward.
1: Yeah, like um, um, so. I mean, what what Einstein uh, Einstein realized um, is, that, um, is 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 that if you if you don't if you don't introduce this quantization idea, that classical theory really uh, like leads to problems and cannot account for this phenomenon of black body radiation. So this is something that is very famous, like that Ehrenfest called the ultraviolet. Catastrophe that uh, you know like the the energy instead of you know like having a nice distribution of the energy over all the frequencies, like if you go to larger frequencies, the energy just goes up 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 up, like to infinity, so what I want to say is that so so einstein um, so saw like okay you you can get this uh, you the, the way to think about like uh, uh, radiation is in terms of these little packages, right? And so the energy of like a photon is that same equation you mentioned equals H nu. And then like uh, two years later, so so this was not a popular idea. People like a lot of people resisted this, uh, Planck included. And uh, so two years later, like he came up with the idea, like, okay, you know, um, we can, I can use that same sort of quantization idea to, tackle like a, an, another problem uh, that people had run into in the in the 19th century not black body radiation but the specific heats of solids at low temperatures so the the expectation was that you know the specific heat is just the same at all temperatures right so the specific heat is like how much heat do you have to uh, add to a particular substance to like make it rise in temperature by 1 degree and that you know depends on what kind of substance you're talking about um,
0: so, 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 is it correct to to think about this, um, think about this, Michelle, as sort of a transition from the analog way of thinking about it to a digital way of thinking about it, or that is not
1: uh, for this or for this early I, phase? Uh, yeah. you can certainly think about it that way, right? So, but, uh, but, yeah. but, in a way, like, um, so, so, this gets to the question, like, you know, what is what is distinctive about quantum mechanics as opposed to classical mechanics? And the initial the initial idea you may have and which the, the name quantum mechanics suggests is that, well, classically, everything is like uh, continuous and like in quantum mechanics, everything is discrete. That turns out not yeah. to be the case. But like early yeah. on, that definitely seemed to be sort of the, the hallmark of, uh, of quantum theory and hence the uh, the name. So Einstein, Einstein now had these two Uh, different uh, applications for these quantum ideas and those ideas are really typical of the early uh, early development and so uh, people often ask me like you know when did quantum mechanics get started and so physicists like to say well it was with Planck in 1900 well but I'm 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 Thinking like well, but Planck wasn't taking these ideas too seriously. Well, what about Einstein in 1905? Okay, well he was taking it seriously, but very few others were. I think a better starting point is the first big conference devoted to quantum mechanics, which was in Brussels, the first Solvay conference in 1911. Yeah, and there, like there's a famous picture of all the physicists that that uh, that were invited, um, and in the background you see like a blackboard with. Planck's formula for black body radiation. And then you see like a little uh, a sheet of paper with some graphs for, uh, for the specific heats of solids. And those really were the two topics. And both, in both hmm. cases, what you're talking about is really a form of statistical mechanics where you look at the collective behavior of large amounts of very simple systems, like, you know, called harmonic oscillators. Now, the big uh, game changer in the history of quantum mechanics, comes in 1913 with the Bohr model. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, like right. I, mean, I think, I think your listeners, like you know, you have, we've all seen this in high school, right? You like you think of atoms as like little little solar systems where the electrons yeah. go around the nucleus like planets around the sun, with the difference that only certain uh, orbits are allowed. And and that was really right. a game changer because now all of a sudden, quantum is not anymore it's no longer about the collective behavior of these very simple systems but trying to model individual and sometimes quite complicated uh, systems like atoms with like you know uh, one or more electrons atoms put like in a combination of electric and magnetic fields and people are now mm. trying to uh, account for a wealth of data coming out of spectroscopy because they knew that, okay, you know, these atoms and these molecules, they all have very characteristic spectra. But there was absolutely no, people had no idea how to account for any of this. So what Bohr, like, uh, supplied was, well, at least we now have a prayer to come up with a theory for the structure of these atoms that can explain, like, why we see the light uh, given off by the atoms having the frequencies they have. So this. Right. Yeah,
0: and so so th- this was sort of a necessary condition because electrons could only occupy certain energy levels, right? So they they just couldn't have gotten this model without without that idea. Yeah.
1: Um, so so th- right. so th- this basic idea of the the uh, you know the, the this energy is quantized that really fed into uh, Bohr's thinking. Uh, but yeah. like what 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 Planck and Einstein uh, uh, had not considered was to, to now really think about like models of atoms and this really came. So there's this experiments done by Rutherford. So Bohr of course was uh, Danish, but he, he did this work while he was in Manchester as a postdoc with Rutherford and Rutherford did, did these experiments like showing that, uh, you know, the structure of an atom is like, a, a, it's a nuclear structure. There's something, most of the mass is in the center, and then you have electrons whirling around it. And Bohr, what Bohr did was yeah. make a more precise model of that basic idea. And for about 10 years, people started, you know, kept working at this, uh, Bohr, and in particular, like his colleague in Munich, Arnold Sommerfeld, uh, and two of Sommerfeld's students uh, uh, that became, who became household names, Wolfgang Pauli and Werner Heisenberg, um, trying to like work out these ideas. And by the early 20s, uh, this ran, they had some success early on, but by the early 20s, it was mainly misery. Uh, they could not. They they these they could they could like come up with like all kinds of empirical rules for like spectra under like all sorts of conditions, magnetic fields, electric fields, Zeeman effect, Stark effect. But they could not come up with like consistent mechanical models that would explain these rules. Yeah. And so then like there was this move like in the mid twenties. Yeah.
0: So so during that time, uh, 1910 through 1920. Uh, Einstein's uh, theories are developing simultaneously, right? Uh, Obviously, uh, a different, uh, different field altogether. But yeah, so 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 Einstein like
1: so Einstein did very important work early on on quantum, like on on body radiation, on specific heats, till about like nineteen eleven, and then like he got you know he got frustrated by quantum theory and spent the next six years or so working on gravity right and so like he produces his general theory of, of relativity and after that after that's done like in 1916 1917 he returns to quantum theory but now Bohr has arrived on the scene and it's actually Einstein who sort of uh, picks up on some of these ideas of Bohr and so the, what we teach our, our uh, students in high school is really a mix of Einstein's ideas and Bohr's ideas so Bohr for instance hated the idea that uh, you know, when an electron jumps from like one orbit to another uh, orbit, that a photon is being sent out. He thought a classical wave was being mm. sent out. No, said Einstein. It's a photon, and that idea was not accepted until <laughs> the early twenties. So what you get, what you but what you get then in the in the in the twenties is that uh, people like Heisenberg and Pauli, just to mention the most famous names, there's. Uh, uh, you yeah. know, with help from, you know, like uh, people in 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 Göttingen, a center for mathematics, with Max Born, his student Pascal Jordan, they developed this this very abstract kind of mechanics that becomes known as matrix mechanics, where you just completely give up the idea that there are these well defined orbits. Okay, so that's one path to. Uh, that's is in fact sort of the main path to quantum mechanics. Now. The the ideas mm. I was talking about earlier about you know the collective behavior of very simple systems and a kind of statistical mechanics that doesn't die um, that uh, that is picked up in, again in the early twenties by uh, other like big names like Louis de Broglie in uh, in in Paris yeah. um, uh, uh, Bose like in uh, in, uh, in 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 Daga now Daga now right now in, mm. and so so Indian physicist Einstein himself. And in the yeah. end, Schrodinger, and that then leads to like a completely different uh, a form of uh, quantum theory known as wave mechanics. Right. So in uh, mm-hmm. so uh, in the in uh, in, you know, 23, 24, like there is this period of, well, there's nothing that uh, that can account for what we're seeing here. And then by twenty six, you all of a sudden you have like sort of an embarrassment of riches that there is like at least two different theories. Uh, that, uh, that look completely different that can account for the phenomenon. There's the Dirac- rock. So that is uh,
0: so that is uh, some matrix mechanics and yes. wave mechanics. So they are sort of, these are yes. the two kind of dueling theories to sort of explain. And, so, okay. uh,
1: yes. and, okay. and so, so now and, and like, there is a variation on matrix mechanics due to the uh, uh, British physicist Paul Dirac called Q number theory. Uh, and so, like, all of a sudden, like, in tw- by 26, there's these different uh, theories floating around and people are trying to sort of make sense of, like, how they relate to each other. So Schrodinger and Pauli realized early on that although these theories look completely different, they always lead to the same prediction. And so uh, then Max Born realizes, well... These theories are also statistical theories, that which is sort of a novelty, right? In, uh, in it's about it's about probability. And then, like in very short yes. order, in late 26, early 27, Dirac and Jordan, two of the pioneers of these fields. I, I should also mention the people that I'm mentioning here are incredibly young. You know, like they're born around 1900. Mm. If you look at the picture that at that Solvay conference in 1911. None of them are there. No Dirac, no Heisenberg, no Pauli, because all these guys, uh, they're 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 teenagers. Like at that point, the next, the, the fifth Solvay <laughs> conference, the famous one in 1927, there you see, like you know Heisenberg and Pauli, and there you know the the champs of 1911, like Planck and Einstein, actually already look quite old. So 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 things look, but things <laughs> are moving very fast. And so Dirac and Jordan in 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 uh, uh, late 26, early 27. Come up with a with a with a formalism that unifies these two theories. This is called like a uh, statistical transformation theory. And then, like shortly thereafter, uh, the um, Hungarian later American mathematician John von Neumann, reading some of uh, 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 Jordan's papers, he thinks like, "My goodness, I mean, these guys don't know like some mathematics that mathematicians have known about for twenty years." And I can actually do this <laughs> uh, this this unification of these two theories in a much more elegant fashion using some of these mathematical ideas mm. that he then calls like Hilbert space, right? So this. Is, he, yeah. Now Fermi was Fermi on the scene
0: also uh, during that time. Uh, uh,
1: and Fermi because... is like uh, he comes a little bit a, a little bit later, uh, so um, okay. uh, so I would I would say Fermi is more uh, you know the the further development of the of the theory. So. Uh, you know, like you, of course, we. If you hear like Fermi, you think like fermions and bosons, and bosons, of course, right. m- uh, named after Bose. And the and, and what this is is like you know Bose Einstein statistics. Uh, it's again, it's about like um, how to do the statistical mechanics of large collections of simple systems. And so Fermi, hmm. and so opposed to Bose Einstein statistics, you have Fermi Dirac statistics. Uh, where you can do some like similar things for now particles with with spin, you know, like so. This is another uh, element that comes out of left field uh, in the early twenties, uh, uh, like the discovery of um, uh, of electron spin. So this is I'm I'm originally from the Netherlands, as you can probably tell from my accent. Yeah. Um, and so it <laughs> I, I can with great authority pronounce the names of the two people who introduced that. That's uh, uh, Goudsmit, <laughs> yeah. Goudsmit, and Ulembeck. Yeah. Uh, and so so, and, and so and uh, but in order to uh, to really uh, do that properly, you need to further develop quantum mechanics into like something called relativistic quantum mechanics, which will, will become what we now call quantum field theory. And it's 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 more in that context yeah. that I think that people like Fermi uh, become uh, become important, like the, 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 the heroes of like the uh, sort of the early uh, the early. Uh, establishment of non-relativistic quantum mechanics are the people I mentioned, right? So on right. the matrix mechanics side, you have, you know Heisenberg, Born, Born, Bohr, Pauli, Jordan, and on the ma- wave mechanics side, you have de Broglie, uh, Einstein, and uh, uh, and 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 Schrödinger and Bose.
0: So so during this time, there, there is some sort of not a conflict but disagreements, right, between. Uh, Einstein and the, and the proponents of quantum um,
1: mechanics. Well, the, that again comes a little bit uh, a little bit later, right? So the, the, later. the big conflict at this point okay. uh, bef- is the conflict between the people in the matrix mechanics camps and and the people in the wave mechanics camp, right? And so so Heisenberg okay, is on okay. record calling yeah. like wave mechanics disgusting. And, uh, and, and, and Schrodinger, not to be outdone, is calling Heisenberg's matrix mechanics uh, repulsive or, you know, like uh, terms of that effect. But so uh, what, what, is, yeah. what I find interesting, and I hope we get we get to this yeah. later, is that um, the, the, these two theories are really quite different and they have sort of different roots in the earlier history. Hmm. And that gets papered over uh, by the fact that you know, within a year or so, it was shown that these two theories are just mathematically different descriptions of the same uh, you know, underlying uh, situation. But, but to this day, right. I would argue, you can see that, uh, you know, people think differently about quantum mechanics, whether they are depending on whether they are sympathetic to the sort of Schrodinger line of thinking or whether they're sympathetic <laughs> to the Heisenberg <laughs> uh, or line of thinking. Right? <laughs> Mm-hmm.
0: So so from a, from your perspective, Michelle, so what 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 would you think is uh, more simple and more elegant if, if they are ultimately describing the um, same process? OK, uh,
1: that that's a, that's an interesting. So so uh, I would say without hesitation, matrix mechanics. Uh, but that goes very much against yeah. the grain of like, you know, what is accepted physics. So. Um, Uh, if you, if you look at, if you look at how the theory uh, was disseminated and in particular, like how it was turned into textbook physics, it was like a, a slam dunk victory for wave mechanics Uh, and people were very, and and I think that's just partly because the physics community in the mid twenties was very accustomed to using the kind of mathematical (laughs) techniques uh, that uh, uh, that 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 you need in in wave mechanics. People were very you know uh, uh, proficient in like dealing with like wave equations. The kind of mathematics that you need to do matrix mechanics, like we now call linear algebra, uh, was far less familiar. I mean, like Heisenberg himself did not when he when he first published his paper and is basically looking at uh, you know like uh, matrices. He did not recognize that he, he, he had like, well, there's this strange thing that there are these objects that are central to my theory that have two indices, one indicating an initial state, one yeah. a final state. And if I have two of these objects, a in column A and B, they do not commute. A times B is not the same as B times A. Now that's of course a standard property mm-hmm. of matrices, but it had to be pointed out to him by uh, Max Born, with whom he then uh, uh, wrote like a uh, like a, a, another paper, uh, that that was indeed like you know a, mm-hmm. ve- a very well known like mathematical object. So these so these so these techniques mm-hmm. were, uh, were were um, uh, were were unfamiliar to physicists, and you know a, another thing that illustrates that is that you know it took like a mathematician like von Neumann to uh, you know to to tell, to instruct physicists, like, okay, you know, uh, this wave mechanics is just one particular way of doing business here, but you can, uh, you can also do business like the way that the matrix mechanics people are, uh, are doing. And so the reason I, 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 say, like, I prefer matrix mechanics is that, um, it's, a, it's sort of a more austere picture of the uh, of the situation like if you if you go for wave mechanics it's very easy for all kinds of like imagery coming from waves to slip mm. in so actually this is nice because this is precisely why I don't like to start uh, with like the double slit experiment right because um, right so if you have the, <laughs> so the way I think about uh, yeah. uh, you know in quantum again is double slit experiment is like okay the statistics that you get if you do like uh, measurements are going to depend on like, you know, what you do to the system when you send it to one uh, slit or to two slits. And, uh, and so that's just you right. know the, the, the hard experimental facts. And if you then like start like uh, em- embellishing that story about like, well, you know, you should think of this electron as like a wave that goes through like both of these, uh, these slits. Well, you're, you're introducing some imagery that may actually be quite misleading. Right. So for starters, uh, these waves are not waves yeah. in ordinary space, right? I mean, that works if you have one particle, but if you have two particles, they're already waves like in six-dimensional space. So it's it's in they're waves in configuration space, and like as Born like pointed out right. to uh, to Schrödinger initially thought these are like very physical waves, right? But by so Schrödinger is presenting these ideas in uh, early 26 and by the end of 26, Max Born has already convinced him. But like, no, 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 these are at the end of the day, they're these these, these are ways these higher dimensional spaces and they have like a probabilistic uh, interpretation.
0: So are there some experiments uh, going on in parallel? OK, these are all yeah. Sort of theoretical.
1: Um, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm, uh, I'm mostly interested in, in the history of theoretical physics, uh, but it's a good question. I'm glad you yeah, yeah. asked this because like, yes, there are incredibly important uh, uh, experimental developments. So remember, as I started say, started with like it's all about black body radiation. It was it was because of yeah. precision measurement of these curves for black body radiation in the late 1890s, but by, by people now completely forgotten, like uh, you know uh, Lume, Pringsheim, Rubens, uh, Kurlbaum. I mean, uh, they they uh, if they had yeah. not done these precision measurements like a, an, a a law that was uh, derived before Planck by uh, Dean would have done just fine. Right. It was that people were really trying to do this very precisely that Planck realized that law, that Dean was wrong and I need to come up with something else. So that's one. Uh, one of my colleagues hmm. in history of, um, history of physics, like Alan Franklin, who is a specialist on the history of experimental physics, right? He wrote a book, The Neglect of Experiment. Yeah. Uh, uh, Calling out precisely <laughs> the yeah. bias that you're pointing to, that historians of physics, myself included, mm-hmm. tend to look at theory rather than experiment. And in the glitz experiment, let me just like this is a good anecdote. That, yeah. So he, he, he's he's using like you know yeah. like uh, Shakespeare and Stoppard and saying like you know the announcement that uh, to a group of physicists that Lumer and Pringsheim are dead is like you know like people in Hamlet being told that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Like who cares?
0: <laughs> right. But at this juncture, though, the, the theory is getting accepted. It's sort of the mechanics of how it works that is, that is um, being debated, right? So,
1: yeah. So, it, but, it's, well, it's so non- but let me, so yeah. like, uh, the, uh, I'll keep it short, but there's a lot to be said about the experimental side of things. So, if you look at, uh, you know, the period from 1913 to 1923, I mean, there's so much uh, information that they didn't have about spectroscopy that becomes available. And in a way it's lucky that early on the the data are very imprecise because that means that you can get away with murder essentially like theoretically, but by the the early 20s like the (laughs) experimentalists have nailed down so many of these parameters and like some of these spectra are so well known that they really are a great testing ground for like these models. And, th- and that's when it becomes clear that these sim- no, in hindsight, very simplistic models of sort of miniature solar systems are just never gonna work. And that drastic steps are required, right. either to, to abandon this whole idea of orbits, that's what, what uh, uh, Heisenberg and co do in matrix mechanics, or to just give up the idea that we're talking about particles and thinking like really it's sort of a wave phenomenon, which is the path that Schrodinger then takes. Mm-hmm. So yes, these, these experimental developments are extremely important. And without those, nobody would have seriously considered like you know, adopting a theory that is as weird as quantum mechanics. Hmm.
0: Okay, so um, so so uh, maybe we'll take a quick break, Michelle. and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about okay. the '30s and beyond. Okay, okay. To- this is a Scientific Sense podcast, providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com. So we are back. Um, So we were just talking about, Michelle, about uh, the, the quantum mechanics, the development, the people involved. Uh, from 1900 to 1930 or so. Uh, mm-hmm. So by then the field is getting reasonably well established, right? Is it the, uh, I think that the textbook, The Principles of Quantum Mechanics came out somewhere around that, the 1930s?
1: Yeah, that's that's true. So there's, there's, there's like, yeah. a, there's, there's several books coming out on yeah. uh, basically presenting mostly sort of a wave mechanics, uh, the wave mm-hmm. mechanics point of view on, on quantum mechanics
0: okay okay and so so at that point how, how, how has it proved this from that point on and who are the who are the major characters
1: okay um, so uh, like in physics itself what you're seeing is that um, this theory is going to be a, is going to be applied to like other fields right so it as yeah. I uh, as I uh, was telling you before like it very much comes out of like atomic Physics, Mm. but like going into the 30s, they're going to probe deeper, and they're going to look at nuclear physics, like you Mm. know, looking at the structure of the the nucleus, and also at at um, uh, you know like collective behavior so this is like when it's going to be applied to things like solid state physics right and leading mm. to important so nuclear physics of course in the end is going to lead to atomic bombs right. and 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 condensed or like solid state physics now called condensed matter physics i mean that's going to like result in something like transistors right so there's very important yeah. uh, developments within physics um right. and so quantum mechanics is like unbelievably successful it's hmm. clear that this is uh, this is not just like a theory Atomic physics, it's really like a new, a whole new way, a whole new framework of doing all kinds of physics. Right. And uh, so today, the only thing that has not been brought under its purview is gravity Hmm. Uh, and everything else is governed by the basic principles of of quantum mechanics. And so I like personally, I like an analogy uh, from computer scientists where they're saying like, look, uh, quantum mechanics is just a new operating system. And like all these different uh, applications, atomic physics, molecular physics, condensed matter physics, they're all different applications like you mm. know, written for that same operating system.
0: It's a complex. It's a complex operating system. It's very so, complex. Well, so, op-
1: so, I mean, yeah. it, 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 though, yes and no. Yeah. So. Uh, if you follow like the historical development, like, you know, it's unbelievably hairy and complicated, but what is surprising with, to me. So as a professional historian of, of, of physics, what I find surprising is like the, it's unbelievably complicated to understand like all the fine points of the spectroscopy that got us to quantum mechanics. But once you have the theory and once you, you present it like in a, in a simple form, like von Neumann did, it becomes unbelievably simple. And so, uh, if you now like are interested in uh, in in applications in say in quantum information, yeah. uh, you don't have to worry at all about like these uh, all these uh, complexities, and you basically get by with learning just a smidgen of linear algebra, and you're off to the race.
0: Yeah, it has high predictability and hence um, you know plethora of uh, real applications coming out of it. But I often hear, Michelle, that. Um you know at the heart of it, it still have difficulties we, we can't really really describe in you know in, in highly intuitive fashion <laughs> how it works right yeah. no this
1: uh, you hit yeah. upon like you know the big problem of course so yeah. so in like it on the one hand it's clear that this is tremendously successful in uh, in terms of like uh, doing physics uh on the other hand like it's very unclear like what to make of it. And like, so, all right, so we can, uh, you know, we can calculate like uh, all these, uh, we can predict the outcomes of all these experiments, but what does this tell us about like the quantum world? You know, what is this world like? Mm -hmm. And that is a debate that started as soon as the theory was born, like, you know, like in 25, 27, um, 27 in particular, when you have like the fifth Solvay meeting, you have the Como conference, you have like, you know, the first clashes between Einstein and Bohr, you know, like very famous. And that debate essentially con- continues like unabated to this day, right? So there was like a period <laughs> of decades where you know, like the mainstream, like was uh, was exerting like you know, like great control over what people were allowed to think about this, right? This was the period that the physicist David Merman has described as "shut up and calculate." And uh, <laughs> uh, but and uh, but then, like you know, in the I would date it to like you know the uh, like the late eighties, late early nineties. Yeah. Uh, uh, people were dissatisf- dissatisfied with these answers that were supposedly uh, given by Bohr in these very hard-to-read uh, 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 papers and very wooly <laughs> formulations and all this. And yeah. so now, like, there's sort of a plethora of, like, different interpretations on the table with yeah. uh, very serious defenders, like, you know, ranging from, like, you know, the, the Everett Many Worlds interpretation, Bohm so, so, before bio, we get yeah. a bit-
0: yeah. So, what was Einstein's problem with it? Well, so how, Einstein, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. So, so Einstein, of course, Einstein's most famous one-liner on uh, on uh, on quantum mechanics is "God does not play dice." <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I don't, I don't think. I mean, the the uh, the statistical nature of the theory. I don't think this is what what bothered Einstein like uh, most about it. So, hmm. uh, the thing that the thing that so there's a few things that bothered him right yeah. but one of the, one of the things is like um, uh, you know like that uh, uh, something that that, that for which Schrodinger like introduced the name entanglement yeah that um, you know like in quantum mechanics th- things have this tendency to get sort of entwined with one another uh, so that you have like a, a a compound system consisting of two components and you can no longer describe like assign like a separate states to these two components like you know you can only describe a state to the uh, to the compound and Einstein thought, well, you know, if you can't do that, you know, you, you, we can't do physics as we know it anymore because we're always talking about, well, what you do, what are you doing to this particular system over here? And that should be independent of what you're doing to, like, a system, like, over there. And what hmm. we seem to have in quantum mechanics, as he put, once put it, is that we seem to have sort of spooky action at a distance that when I do something over here, that immediately starts to affect something over there.
0: Right? So this is like, if you if you have two particles, let's say two electrons or something, yeah. and if they're entangled, then if you observe uh, electron one, mm-hmm. uh, then you, ex- uh, some property of electron one, let's say spin or something like yeah. that, then you automatically know uh, what what is the property of ele- uh, the second particle, right, regardless of the distance. Correct between them and it's very counterintuitive because we were all taught that information cannot travel Mm -hmm. more than the speed of light and so conceptually you can separate uh, these two particles to you know to to the both sides of the universe so to speak Uh, but they will immediately have that type of an info it's not necessarily information exchange but that's a paradox yeah no so um,
1: and and, and, um, so but yeah, what's weird about it is that uh, so so yeah, you measure uh, you measure the spin of one particle, like so you have like yeah. an entangled pair of particles, uh, where entangled just means like, you know, like it's it's described by a state that doesn't sort of factorize in the state of one particle, state of another particle. Now you let these particles separate, you measure the spin in one direction of one particle or like the the polarization of a photon in, on, on one photon and the spin in another direction on the other particle or the, mm. the, the polarization and these things are very strongly correlated, right? And, mm. and, uh, and um, so, but what you, what quantum mechanics also shows is that those correlations can never, ever be used to send signals, right? So right. Uh, in mm. the, in the, in the, in the foundations literature, it's now like you always have the same characters. It's always Alice and Bob, you know, performing <laughs> yeah. These, these yeah. measurements. And so you know, the, so the first step is to realize, oh, you know, uh, uh, when whenever Alice like finds up, uh, Bob finds uh, down, and vice versa, yeah. that's very strange. And then the next uh, the, the next uh, statement is, but Alice and Bob cannot use that strange behavior to send each other like send each other like instant messages. Right, okay. right. And so, um, so you know, there's so there's different ways to think about this. Um, and this is like what uh, you know what the debate uh, like in the end uh, like you know uh, is it has been about for the yeah. for for decades now right, right. And, and so so people came up with so so let me understand that
0: Michelle. so um if alice is down bob is up mm-hmm. and vice versa and um and that is uh, regardless of the separation between them correct uh, but we say you cannot use that for information exchange mm-hmm. and why is that
1: um well i mean like you if you look if you look more carefully at the at the mathematics of these correlations yeah uh you see that uh you know like what so what 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 would you have to like imagine what it would be like to 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 uh, try to exploit this for communication purposes yeah right? so um you um, um, you know it's like you know in the end it's like fifty fifty if you do a measurement of spin in in a certain direction whether it's going to be up or down, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but these correlations like also like uh, persist if you, you also have these correlations if you measure spin in one direction Alice measures spin in one direction and Bob measures the spin in, in some other direction, okay, mm-hmm. and um, so um, so now like imagine that they that they make a they make a plan together and say okay. You know, um, you're going to send me the answer to a simple yes/no question, yeah. and if it's going to be yes, you're going to measure spin in the x direction. If it's no, you're going to measure spin in the z direction. Right. And then I, you do that, Bob. And then I, Alice, I'm going to always measure spin in the x direction, but I'm going to, the the I'm going to see in my statistics what you're doing on the other side. Right. And if you then look carefully at what quantum mechanics predicts, is that what Alice is going to see up or down, it's 50-50, regardless of whether uh, Bob is measuring a spin in the X direction or spin in the Z direction, so for the statistics—it doesn't matter at all. The story you're going to tell is is different uh, mm. depending on whether you uh, whether Bob does one measurement or the other measurement. But you know, for the at the end of the day, for what you the statistics that you're obtaining in this experiment, it doesn't make a darn bit of difference. And so, one way to look upon this is to is to uh, and this is the, the the viewpoint that I I've come to favor, yeah. uh, which is related to this uh, uh, to you know what is what is often called the Copenhagen interpretation. Mm. It's like well, you know, one of the things we've learned is that, uh, you know, you, you can have like these, uh, these distant correlations that are non-signaling because like the moment that you can send signals, you run afoul of problems with special relativity, right? So you, you, want, hmm. you only want to, want to allow uh, 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 correlations in, in, in the world that are non-signaling. And it turns hmm. out that that class of correlation is bigger than we thought. We thought that, you know, any kind of distant correlation, like, you know, like uh, is basically explained by uh, the, the correlated particles already having the relevant properties the moment hmm. they separate. Right? right. And it turns out, and this was like uh, the big result of John Bell, like in the early 60s, uh, like you, it, it's simply impossible to, uh, uh, to do that. And so, and 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 those proofs have been have now been simplified to the point that you can explain to a uh, to a general audience quite simply. So David Merman has done this. I, I, I like a book by uh, Tanya and Jeff Boop called "Totally Random," like a, a a comic book about quantum mechanics, where they have very simple examples showing uh, how this how this works. That you just simply that you get these distant correlations, but you cannot explain those by assuming that everything has already sort of been determined in advance.
0: Yeah, so one thing that uh, made sort of intuitive sense to me, uh, correct me if if, if this is a right way to think about it. So, so suppose I have a pair of gloves, a left and the right hand gloves, mm-hmm. and I keep the left one in one box and keep the right one in another box, seal them, and I send those two boxes uh, to both sides of the uh, different sides correct. of the universe, right? Um, when I open box number one, I will always find the left glove. Yes. Uh, and granted, I you know, somebody on the other side of the universe is going to find the right glove. Yeah. But it doesn't really...
1: Yeah, that would, uh, that yeah. would not surprise anybody, right? I mean, so if, if <laughs> yeah. only the world were like that. But now, so now the situation is that quantum mechanics says, like, you know, before you open the box... Uh, it's uh, the the it, the the glove is not left or right. It's only decided the moment you open the box whether right. that glove in that box is left or right, and then uh, uh, it is immediately decided that the other that the glove in the other box has to be the opposite. That okay. is it is right? And so this is something that Einstein also found. And so Einstein had like. He had like a uh, uh, so there's a very famous paper that he that he wrote together with uh, uh, two colleagues Podolsky and Rosen called the Einstein Podolsky Rosen paper in 1935, uh, yep. which is by now uh, by by orders of magnitude Einstein's most cited paper. At the mm. time, it was seen like oh you know the old man has lost touch all this, <laughs> and all this. Um, yeah. Einstein like had a simpler argument like the, a year earlier where he says okay you know suppose like you know you have two cups. And uh, uh, quantum mechanics tells you that it's it's 50-50. Which of those two cups have a ball uh, under it? Okay, Uh, now you lift one of those cups and you see, okay, the uh, the ball is not under it. So that tells you immediately, well, the ball is under the other cup. Now we ask like, well, before I lifted the cup, was Mm. it decided that the ball was under the other one, right? Mm. And if you think about it, it's like intuitively, you would say, of course, of course. But quantum mechanics says, no, like quantum mechanics only gives you this probability. And then Einstein says, well, that's too bad for quantum mechanics. Then it's incomplete because of course, like it was known (laughs) ahead of time. Right. And so (laughs) this then, you know, so so he 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 pushed that argument further, like in this EPR paper and then like, you know, like decades later, like, you know, with people like simplifying that argument, David Bohm, like replacing the uh, observable science I was talking about by spin components. And then John Bell in the early 60s showing like, you know, uh, this idea of Einstein that I can just add like further description to the quantum Hmm. system, something called hidden variables. It's just not going to work unless, you know, these hidden variables themselves, you know, have like very strange properties that they Mm. allow, you know, uh, things to travel like faster than light. Right. Which which sort of seems to defeat uh, the the purpose. But I mean, this is again, like I should I should not say defeat the purpose. Uh, This idea of like having what are called non local hidden variables. Such so, as yes, in uh, in the in the, the Broglie-Bohm pilot wave theory, there's plenty of people, especially in philosophy of quantum mechanics, that are quite fond of that way of thinking. And there's, I also know, like a physicist who uh, uh, who who uh, like that way of thinking, even though it's it's sort of you know like intention, it's not in contradiction, but intention uh, with uh, with uh, with relativity.
0: Okay so so what is the Copenhagen interpretation That
1: is a very good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so this is like totally unclear. So a <clears throat> um, so it's it's the the what is typically called sort of the Copenhagen interpretation or I would call it the, the mainstream the textbook interpretation is sort of an amalgam of the thinking of Bohr and Heisenberg with a little bit of Dirac a little bit of von Neumann like mixed in uh, mm-hmm. Heisenberg like introduced this term at some point like way after the fact
0: this was a conference where people got together. No, so the
1: reason it's called the Copenhagen yeah. interpretation is just that uh it's it's mostly associated with Bohr and Bohr uh had this big institute in Copenhagen. That's why it's oh,
0: called okay. the Copenhagen. Yeah. And so
1: and and Bohr uh uh you know like he was kind of a father figure and a and and a and a guru a mentor to a lot of these like uh you know young whippersnappers who uh, who put quantum mechanics on the map, you know the one that I, ones that I talked about before, Heisenberg, Pauli, etc. Yeah. So um now, um, so the um, uh, uh, so so the the, what...
0: the interpretation. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, so 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 the the, the 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 standard way of uh, of of thinking about the Copenhagen interpretation is that uh, well, you know, we're going to need when you do a measurement, uh, we're talking about sort of the interaction of a quantum system with like a classical system. And, the, and, that cla- and, then, and what, when you do this measurement, the wave function is going to collapse. That's sort of a very sort of crude uh, <laughs> uh, sort of physics 101 version of, uh, of, the, uh, of the story. If you look more carefully, you see that, well, yeah. you know, that, that crude view was not held by anybody. Um, but, you know, like there are like, you know, uh, there, there is this idea that, uh, uh, you know, when you do a measurement, then, you know, one of the possibilities of uh, uh, that quantum mechanics issue is realized and the others disappear. And that is like, again, like in, in tension with like uh, the way things normally evolve in quantum mechanics, uh, which is uh, where, you know, you don't have these kind of collapse. So this leads then to something called the measurement problem where quantum mechanics in it on the standard account seems to give you one story for you know like when uh, uh, things develop left to themselves and another story for when like you know we we as humans like perform like a measurement right and so people have, have, have felt like okay this is just an unacceptable state of affairs and like have suggested like other uh, ways of uh, of uh, of of making sense of quantum mechanics such as bohm Or Everett, right? So the Everett Interpretation. Yeah, Yeah. so
0: before we, yeah, so let me just uh, understand this a little bit better. So um, before we measure, there is a probability distribution. And at measurement that that probability distribution essentially collapses. And so let let me know if if I'm thinking this correctly. So let's say I lost my bag in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I say I want to find it, Um, and I haven't looked anywhere. So before I look, there is certain probability distribution the bag could be Mm -hmm. found anywhere. And I go look in Penn Station, and at that point, it's a zero or one. Either I find the bag or I don't find the bag. Right? The probability distribution basically collapses at that point. Well, I mean, but if you if you put it that
1: way, right? I mean, there it's there now. It sounds like. Well, what else is probability distribution supposed to do, you know, like uh, there's nothing physically collapsing. It's just like, you know, you've now discovered like one of these one of these possibilities is actually correct. Okay, now in quantum mechanics, it's a little more. It's 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 trickier than that because you're not discovering. Right. You to get back to your example of the of the two uh, gloves. You're not discovering yeah. like, okay, here is the, the the left glove is sitting in this box and therefore the right one in the other box that I've sent to the other side of the universe. No, no, no. Quantum mechanics does not allow you to say whether that glove was left or right, right? So in a way, by doing right. this measurement, you are like, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, like language becomes like very strained at this point. You are sort of creating, if you wish, like reality. You are forcing you know the, um, uh, the, 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 the uh the 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 Delta, the, the, yeah. the glove to make up its mind like either it's going to be like left-handed or right-handed and this is like you know why people are are are, are complaining about like you know you shouldn't be thinking <laughs> about this collapsing of the uh, uh of a probability distribution in this in the terms of like you finding your uh your loss back at uh, at central station now uh, I right. personally think that uh, this idea that it is not that different from from finding the bag at the central station, and that yeah. what we really discovered is that nature is just has some intrinsic randomness. Like you know, at the end of the day, we cannot uh, we cannot predict uh, with with certainty. Even if we factor in everything we know, there is going to be an intrinsic random randomness. Like at the end of the day, the world is the ultimate crapshoot. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. so that, you know, but, you know uh, uh, people fi- find that like uh, uh, sort of an unappetizing thing to swallow. And this is true for all of these things. So you, you're a Bohmian. You're you're a Bohmian. Well, then you have to swallow that, uh, you know, like you have an uneasy relationship with relativity theory. You're an Everettian, many worlds interpretation. Well, then you have to swallow that. Uh, well, there's a gazillion copies uh, of you, like in all these other worlds that you will never have access to. Right. So it's one of my. Co- yeah. So that. It-
0: yeah. So the Everettian interpretation. So uh, again, going back to the glove example. Yeah. Um, so the interpretation there is: I open the box, I find a left glove. Yeah. There is an identical universe uh, where there is a right yeah. glove. So everything else in that universe is exactly Correct. the same, yeah. except the box has a yeah. right glove, right? And so both of those both of yeah. those happen yeah. simultaneously.
1: So, to, yeah. so I used to be an Everettian. Um, and so yeah. um, uh, again, what you're sketching now is sort of the very crude version of, of Everett. Yeah. Uh, in a way, like it's it's a little more subtle than that, I think. So basically, yeah. right. So um, the problem here is to explain like how is it that these observables, like uh, at some point, acquire like definite values. So in this case, you have a glove. How is it? Does it happen that it becomes a left glove or a right glove? Okay. And so, well, you know, on the Copenhagen interpretation, that it well, it's just a crapshoot at the end of the day, you do a measurement, you ask, you, you ask nature a question and then like what makes up its mind and it's going to be left or right. That's the end of it. Now on the Everett interpretation, yeah. there's never a collapse. There's never a collapse. All that happens mm. is that, uh, you know, you get tight correlations. So you get, you now quantum mechanics like itself is now going to predict, right. That uh, the mm. moment you open the box, that you enter enter into a superposition, right? In one, you know, in and one part of the superposition says the glove is a left glove, and you believe that you that it's a left glove. And another part of the of the superposition is that the glove is a right glove, and you believe that it's a right glove. But this is all like this may sound strange, but this is a straightforward prediction of like you know the quantum um, uh, of of quantum mechanics. If you believe which most people do, that quantum mechanics applies to everything and there is no realm where you have like classical measuring apparatus or anything. Quantum mm. mechanics is the theory mm. of everything. So this, this now happens. And so now, uh, now you say, but, oh, wait a second. Um, but I never, I never am in such a superposition, right? I'm never, I'm never uh, confused about like whether I'm seeing like a left mm. glove or a right glove. And quantum mechanics, again, like predicts that, you know, like, no, you're always going to be sure (laughs) that you're seeing like a particular thing. So what's going to happen now is that like another uh, aspect of quantum, something called decoherence is going to ensure yeah. that these two branch these two terms in the superposition are going to feel like different uh, branches in a multiverse right and so that the way mm. to think about this now is that out of this quantum description emerges like one world in mm. which uh, a person very much like you is uh, is definitely seeing a uh, left glove and in another world also like you know a person also very much like you we'll see like a, with the opposite uh, value. I forget what I just said, left or right. And Uh, so, so, so this is like, so I personally, when I was, you know, still like an Everettian, I sort of prefer to, to, Mm. to paint this picture, not of like uh, sort of a many worlds, but like sort of a one world where everything is perpetually in limbo and which you can then think Mm. of, right. As, uh, uh, as, you know, like different terms in this quantum superposition that all like, you know, form like, you know, their own worlds and then quantum mechanics guarantees that none of these worlds will ever know about the existence of any other ones, right? But that's a, that's right. a steep price yes, that's, to pay. Do yes. you really believe that that's the case, right? Yeah. I mean, like uh, uh, so everidians have asked me like, uh, have, like true believers have told me like, whenever I now like narrowly escape disaster I don't feel so good because I know that there's many other universes in which, like, it didn't. The outcome didn't go so well, right? So there's now many universes in right. which, like, you know, I'm living. We, the two of us, are living in a universe where it looks as if, like, Biden will, like, you know, like, eke out a win. But there's like other universes just like that where, you know, like, Trump <laughs> will, like, uh, will, right? don't,
0: don't, don't, there don't are, remind if me. You're a true
1: believer in Everett. <laughs> you're going to have to. I mean, a good many branches in the multiverse. You know, like there are people right. just like us who are going to live with Donald Trump for four more years as president. You know, that's the <laughs> reality of it.
0: Yeah, so that's yeah, that's a, that's an important distinction. So, um, the the superposition is not just for that observation, but it is for anything that is connected to that observation. So, in the in the case of the glau, it's not just the glau, but the the observer has to believe yes, it's the left yes. cloud, right? And, um, and and the observer has to be there uh, to, to believe that. So all the macro systems around that is also Correct. in superposition. Correct.
1: But it's so this, but right? this is all so like, that you know, like that, you, yeah. you're rapidly now going down what I would call the rabbit hole of the uh, Everett interpretation, <laughs> yeah. which is very popular among physicists. Yeah. Um, but as I mentioned, like, so I... Like a a few years ago, um, I sort of fell off the wagon, um, and by reading another (laughs) book by the guy I mentioned, Jeff Boop, a book called Banana World: uh, Quantum Mechanics for Primates, in which he is like uh, pushing something that now goes by the name of an information theoretic interpretation, which, as he argues, is really sort of a, a more a more reasonable gloss. On Everett right I mean all these different interpretations like I mean there are sort of crude versions of it you know the crude version of Everett would be like anytime you do anything like the world splits into a myriad copies and I hope to have given you a bit of a sense that that's not fair to the Everettians their their story is a good deal more sophisticated than that also Copenhagen is a lot more sophisticated than oh we posit that there are like you know, measure big measuring apparatus that is governed by uh, uh, by classical physics. No, no, everything is is quantum. But you, but at the end of the day, like you know, you are uh, you know performing like a um, uh, uh, you you are performing experiments, and like these experiments like have like um, like random outcomes. And what's worse, what's worse, and this to me, from this information theoretic perspective is really sort of the weird thing about uh, uh, and the new thing about quantum mechanics is that um you know you if you um, uh, if you now want to know uh, two different properties of uh, uh, of like a system uh, you cannot you cannot yeah. like typically you cannot uh, uh, find that out at the same time so suppose with to stick with your glove example that you you don't you not you not only want to find out whether they're like you know like right handed or left handed, but whether they're black or brown. All right. So classically, you think, oh, this is no problem. You know, I can check whether it's left or right, and I can check whether they're black or brown. But in quantum mechanics, that uh, you're not you can't do this. Like you know, these are these properties are represented by by mathematical gadgets that prevent you from doing yeah. that. So you 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 end up with a with a with uh you know your picture of the world is going to depend heavily on what you decide to do if you decide to to mm-hmm. look at okay is this left-handed or right-handed you um uh, you cannot at the same time like have a picture in which like you know it's it's like black or white and all these pictures just don't add up to one overall uh, uh overall big picture so this goes by the by the uh, oh, yeah. by the uh, you know the technical term of like they like you don't have like, a, uh, like, a, like an overarching Boolean algebra where Boolean algebra is just like a fancy way of saying you, you assign like yes, no, yes, you, you, you assign true false values to every statement you care about. So if you, if you, want, if you care about the yeah. statement, is, is the glove is black, yes or no, right? You cannot in the same world like assign a value yes, no to the glove is like yeah. right-handed, left-handed. Now this is like a very unusual and hard to hard to get used to property, but so people in this camp, right, to which I now uh, in which I now count myself, are saying, okay, that's what we've learned. Like you know, it, it turns out to be possible to have experience of a world like that, and what we then see, like all the other guys are doing, are you know, like desperately cling to this idea that no, there has to be like one overarching thing. that in which it all makes sense, be it a multiverse or be it like non-local hidden variables, right? That's the bold or the effort way. And we're, saying, we're <laughs> yeah. the, the way that we're reading Bohr is Bohr saying that's the sort of stuff that you have to have to give up. You know, let that go and then hmm. just accept what you've, uh, what you've discovered here about, uh, about uh, quantum mechanics. And so you, you mentioned at the beginning of this book. That uh, that I wrote, like you know, like understanding quantum raffles. That's precisely the sort of view that we are arguing for, you know, like uh, and basically take the attitude, like, look, you know, the things like the measurement problem. At the end of the day, like we don't see this as problems. We just see this as sort of features of reality that we've discovered, and that you know you just you just need to accept, right? And this is very close to what you know the leaders of this Copenhagen movement like. You know the, the the mainstream, like the Pauli, Heisenberg, and Bohr, were saying.
0: Right, right. So, so are you saying that, Michelle, that the paradox arises from um, really sort of counterintuitive? You know, we didn't have quantum mechanics mm-hmm. for most of human history. Uh, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, go go out to kill uh, and eat. (laughs) We we didn't really have thought experiments about quantum mechanics. And we very recently found this. uh, And so our brains are not really, uh, really designed for this concept. And so every time we think about this, we are going back and testing, um, you know, based on our sort of, natural understanding and it's all yeah. No, I mean, like, uh,
1: so this is like uh, yeah, and th- this yeah. sort of goes back to something I, i i said about like the history of the subject i mean uh, if it weren't for like these unbelievably uh puzzling experimental facts in particular in spectroscopy that came to light you know like in around 1920 or so we would never have gotten to a theory this weird you know, but now we, <laughs> now we do yeah. and we know yeah. like from uh, using it now for a century in physics, this theory works, you know, where classical theory really didn't. And so now, like the question is like, OK, you know, how do you how do you make sense of this? And like, so there's like various options on the table and no matter what option you go for, yeah. like, you know, a colleague of mine in Minnesota calls it the conservation of misery. Um, that no matter what option you're <laughs> going to go for you're going to have to swallow something that is kind of difficult to swallow you know so uh, do you really right. believe that uh, uh, that uh, that that we're living in a multiverse do you really believe that you know maybe special relativity is wrong and uh, so yeah this this is where this is where <laughs> we're uh, we're at and everybody and i don't think uh, a part of it is is that there are just no knockdown arguments, right? I mean like it's not as if like, oh, we, we can do this calculation right. and now we can show like this position is inconsistent. At the end of the day it's like
0: and it may not be it may yeah. not be testable, no, so right? It, that is that also, like, I mean I yeah. would be
1: remiss if I did not mention this. There's also like a, a one interpret yeah. one interpretation is on the table which actually changes quantum mechanics. So the the, the, the interpretation I've talked about so far Copenhagen, Everett Bohm they don't want to change quantum mechanics. Bohr yeah. wants to add something to it. Bohr and Everett want to add, try to yeah. add nothing to it. Like, you know, they smuggle some some, uh, some things yeah. in. But, they try. but there's another uh, approach called the GRW approach called for uh, Girardi, Remeni, and Weber. They want to change like one of the central yeah. equations of quantum mechanics, the Schrodinger equation, and have like a little stochastic terms yeah. where uh, that uh, that work out in such a way that if you go to large enough systems, say cats that they will collapse so that yeah. you don't have the embarrassment of like cats that are in a superposition of being dead and alive okay or gloves <laughs> okay. that are in a superposition yeah. of being yeah. left and right or black and brown so but this is really changing um uh, small change in quantum mechanics and so in principle such a theory mm. might be testable you know as as long as it's not testable right. it's just i would say it falls in with all these other theories like well okay you know if it makes you feel better to like add this uh, 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 this uh, little uh, wheel to the uh, uh, to the operation, fine. But you know, these people could claim like, no, 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 we're just we're not adding like another epicycle to the system. We are like changing the theory in ways that you know maybe we can predict. It's not going to be you know totally random. We're going to come up with some other like sort of statistical regularity that hinges on the details of how we add this stochastic like collapse. Um, uh, uh,
0: mechanism right so,
1: so, yeah so so
0: in conclusion then michelle give me give me sort of your interpretation of it or okay. <laughs> your preference yeah so, so i've already sort of indicated what my
1: uh, what yeah. my preference is right and so
0: yeah
1: um now and i, I think the best you know like uh, you know if, if you give me a ch- you know you're basically giving me a chance to put in a plug for my yeah point of view, right? And so yes. rather than reiterating what my point yeah. of view is, I, w- I would say this. So what, what I see as the, the strongest argument for you know the, the kind of view I'm pushing, and this is like what a lot of our book is about, it turns out that the central formalism yeah. of, of quantum mechanics, the Hilbert space formalism that was introduced by von Neumann is the exact same formalism that is used in sophisticated modern treatments of statistics and probability theory, okay. And so, what that seems to tell me is that Hilbert space is uh, is not something about like you know the furniture of the world. The world is not made out of wave functions, as Sean Carroll says, as new, in his new book. Now, Hilbert space is like a formalism to deal with probabilities, right? And uh, and so, if you, if you, from that point of view i think you can sort of work out like a consistent way of thinking about quantum mechanics that sort of avoids like these big problems the measurement problem in particular uh right uh where you have to swallow some other things like you know there is no overall boolean description no we cannot completely write the observer out of the story right these are like you know big concessions to make but to me like given the the, this close parallel between general probability theory uh, in, uh, uh, and like the Hilbert space formalism of quantum mechanics, that seems to be the most promising uh, uh, avenue to me to, uh, to, com- to, to, you know, to have an interpretation. Great.
0: Uh, Great. This is exciting. Uh, it, you know, it, uh, the thought experiments one could do here
1: yeah, yeah. and I, I mean the all other right. thing I should really <laughs> I say is imagine. that these are not thought experiments <laughs> yeah. anymore, right? I mean, yeah. uh, so ever since the uh, the late sixties yeah. and early seventies, uh, you know, these 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 uh, uh, experiments that for Einstein were thought experiments have been done. You know, like uh, uh, so there are these all these experimental yeah. tests of the Bell inequalities. They're ongoing, and again and again they find that quantum mechanics is correct. And so yes, the spooky action at a distance that Einstein was talking about that has been. <laughs> proven and you can and the 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 other the the other thing i'll mention is that no matter how you think about this no matter how you think about this i mean since it's there you can start thinking about what can we do with it right and so now you have like quantum computing quantum (laughs) cryptography and even though the the, debate about how to make sense of this like rages on uh you know that's not going to stop like you know computer quantum computer engineers from trying to come up with like physical systems that could actually Realize, you know, some of the computational power that would come with exploiting these uh, these new uh, these new options.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. This this has been great, Michelle My pleasure. Thanks, so Thanks much for much having for spending me. Spending time with me. And right. Uh, thank you. This is a Scientific Sense podcast providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com.